You're listening to Vince and Matt on the Montreal Marketeers Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Montreal Marketeers with Matt and your favorite host, Vince. <laughs> We're here with Anthony Calvillo. Anthony, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. All right, Anthony, let's start off by uh, telling us uh, who you are and what you're all about. Um, well, that's a loaded question right there. <laughs> Vince likes to start with better questions. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Um, I uh, grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, been playing sports my entire life, uh, baseball, basketball, football, and uh, and really, you know, that was my passion and had a, a lot of people help me along the way to uh, become the man that I am today, and I'm very proud of that man, but uh, there were a lot of people that helped me along the way to get to where I'm at, and I'm so thankful for that, and and since other people helped me out, I'm trying to do the exact same thing uh, in any community that I'm in, whether I'm in Montreal, back home in California. But uh, I think the biggest thing for me is just to make sure that uh, I'm setting the right example uh, for my family, because to me that's the most important thing. Okay. Okay. So, for those that don't know, you played a very important part of the the culture of Montreal for a very long time. So Mm -hmm. when we first contacted you, we were super happy to have you on our podcast, being the Montreal Marketeers. So do you mind telling us, from Los Angeles to Montreal, kind of what the transition was, how you ended up here, and uh, yeah. Yeah, so I started my CFL career in 1994 with the Las Vegas Posse. So that was my first introduction to learning more about the Canadian Football League. Uh, they actually expanded into the U.S. Uh, back in 1994 with one of the teams being in Las Vegas. Uh, after that, I came to Hamilton, uh, played for the Ticats for three years, um, and then didn't do too well over there and got released. And I was very fortunate that uh, there were still a couple teams that were interested in me. Uh, one being the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and one the other being the Alouettes. Um, and I just felt that coming to Montreal, because uh, they were a winning organization, uh, I wanted to be part of what they were doing because in Las Vegas and Hamilton we weren't winning. So I wanted to see the formula, how it was to win. And, mm-hmm. and here uh, they had a quarterback named Tracy Ham, and he was really my mentor. He was the one that really brought me along the way to be a professional quarterback. So got here in 1998, backed up Tracy for two years, became the starter in 2000, and then basically uh, played with the Alouettes until 2013. Had some amazing years, some ups and downs, uh, but overall kind of just embedded myself here in the city of Montreal. And uh, got here in 98, uh, met my wife here in 2000, so that's when I started living here all year round. And this is when I started to really get appreciation for the city of Montreal. And I've been always so impressed with, uh, with Montreal and, and really so proud of what we've done for football here in mm-hmm. Quebec, to be honest with you. Because okay. um, at that particular time, football was, <clears throat> it was, it was good, it was solid. But I think with the, with the rebirth of the Alouettes, because we were gone for 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, they came back here in, in 1997 and started the, the transition to... Uh, um, for people to play more football. So um, I'm proud of that fact, the fact that we were part of that tradition to start football, to make it grow here in Quebec to what it is now. And there's a lot of great uh, Quebec athletes who are playing not only in this province, but in other provinces that are that are from here. And I think uh, the Alouettes have a big part of that growth here in this uh, this great city. What did you, I'm just curious, what did it feel like when you were 
being released and then trying to start over and, and trying to get back into it. Do you mind touching on that a bit? Yeah, you kind of question yourself, right? So my first four years of playing professional football, I was very inconsistent. Um, I had some great games, had some poor games, but wasn't taking that next step to be, uh, to be a really uh, consistent quarterback that an organization can trust that your teammates could trust. So I had to do a lot of soul searching. Um, I think at that particular time, I didn't have the best attitude. I, I felt that I had all the answers in the world. Like, you know, when I got to Hamilton, there was two veterans in front of me and I ended up beating them out. And I started the first two games. And in my mind, I was thinking if I could beat these guys out, then they have nothing to offer me. Uh, and it was a mistake because we had, we had great quarterbacks there. Steve Taylor, Mike Kerrigan, who were veteran guys who could have helped me, wanted to help me, but I was just, the attitude was like, I don't want to listen. When did you realize that the attitude was a problem? When I got cuts. Okay. I mean, that, at that, 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 that point you realized At that, that point, I'm like, you know what? I can't do this on my own. There's something, there's a formula that's not working right now. So <clears throat> when I came here to Montreal, that's when I was open-minded now. I was going to sit there and listen to Tracy. And he was going to give me the information. And I always, I've always thanked him for that. And he's like, AC, he's like, you can thank me, but you, you are willing to listen because there's a lot of young quarterbacks that are not willing to listen. Just like I was young, did not listen when I was playing in Hamilton, but I finally got my mind wrapped around that I couldn't do this on my own. I wanted to learn from somebody, and, and Tracy was there. And the good thing, he was willing to uh, give that information to me. Okay. And is this, is this a specific issue for quarterbacks or any position? I, I, I think anybody that's going through the process, and I try to share this with the professional athletes because the reality is this is – the, the lifespan is about three to four years in the Canadian Football League, and I want to say the same thing for the National Football League. That's how long you're going to play for on average. If you want to be mediocre and average and be stubborn and stay the status quo, you're only going to play for three years. You have to be open-minded. you got to be committed. you got to have a work ethic that is far beyond what the other average player does. And if you're able to do that and listen to what the coaches are doing, I think you could play for a lot longer than three or four years. Okay. Um, so I, I try to share that with the young guys. Some guys get it, some guys don't. But there was a point where I didn't get it either. So I'm going to keep sharing it, and the ones that get it, um, kudos to them. Sure. Do, do you think your mentor brought that <clears throat> out of you? Or oh. was it that just in, you know, mindset, <clears throat> mm -hmm. getting older? So growing <clears throat> up, I've had a lot of people help me out on the field and off the field. I always refer to my high school coach who really helped guide me in the direction of going to university. Um, so that helped me. My All the coaches that coached me when I was young, I didn't realize that they were volunteer coaches, right? They're all people who had their own jobs, their own families, but they took time to teach all the kids in the neighborhood. And if it wasn't for them, none of us would have been able to play. Yeah. So I always thought about that, like, you know, okay, these people helped me out. I got to go back and do the exact same thing. My college coach, Jim Zorn, uh, he helped me on the field and off the field. Um, so I always had it in my mind to listen to people and try to grow from that. But professionally, I was stuck. You know, I was really stuck. I thought I had the answers because I was 21 years old playing professional football and starting. So I just thought I was doing everything right. So it took me a, a long time to figure out that you got to be able to grow in this process. You can't just say, okay, what I've done last year is good enough. What I've done last week was good enough. You got to be able to be open-minded and grow. And it took me a little while to figure that out. But I think getting to Montreal, 
seeing Tracy, seeing what, <clears throat> what really with trust, how trust plays a big part in, in playing professional football because the guys trusted Tracy, not only as a football player, but as a person. Guys would come up to him and ask him personal questions about their family life, about finances. And I thought that was just amazing because I, in my mind, I always talked to Jim Zorn or other people that were outside of football, but this guy had everything. Tracy had the trust of the guys on the field and off the field, and I just had so much. So it's like a true mentor in terms of not only a hundred percent. It was a true mentor on and off the field. Okay. Yeah. So how, I'm just curious how because you've you've kind of taken that mm -hmm. literally in, in life and in, within your career, your extensive career at the Alouettes. How did you harness that and, and become a leader at the Alouettes? What what made you different? Well, I think as a quarterback, you're, you're kind of put into that position, whether you like it or not. So I was always a very <clears throat> quiet leader when I played. didn't say a whole lot. Uh, I kind of led by example. So everything that I did in the offseason, because that's where, to me, that's where you win and lose a championship is during the offseason when you're preparing. Like, what are you doing to get yourself ready to play over 20 games a season physically and mentally? And I wanted to make sure that the players that I played with, when I stepped on that field, that they believed that I was going to get the job done. <clears throat> so that didn't happen overnight. It, it came in the offseason. And then you had to continue that during the season as well. I mean, by making sure that uh, you're training well, uh, making sure your body's up to where it needs to be, and on game day, being consistent. A lot of athletes go out there and play the ones that play for a long time, the ones who are able to be consistent week in and week out. And it takes a lot of dedication, whether it's physically lifting weights and make sure that you can take the pounding, but two, mentally watching film, preparing yourself and not being lazy. Like, oh, it's the same, you know, we're playing Hamilton for the fourth time this year. I already know what they're doing. I don't need to study. No, that's not the case. You got to approach it like it's the first time that you're doing it. So it takes a mental discipline doing that. So if you're able to have that mental discipline, have that work ethic, then you're going to go out and have some success. And that's what I try to share with the young players when I was playing. I'm like, listen, this is what I'm doing. I used to get to the stadium around 5.30 in the morning to watch <clears throat> to watch film. And uh, the other quarterbacks would come in around 6.37. I'm like, come in at 5.30. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't. And, and I said, okay, it's a, you know, this, if, if this is how you're going to get ready, this is how you're going to get ready. But this is how I get ready, and this is what's allowed me to play for so many years. Okay. And how do you deal with, you know, we talk about consistency. Yeah. But in terms of mindset, there's, there's always losing streaks, there's always games that you don't. How do you get back into the next game? Like, like how do you get back that winning mentality after playing for so long? You know, as a as professional athlete, you're gonna deal with you're gonna deal with the the criticism that comes from outside of football, in the media, with the fans, and now it's really different with with social media because now you're getting it from everywhere. Um, but for myself, I, I really try to block all that stuff out. I never read the paper. Um, to me, my main focus was the guys in the locker room. You know, if I had a bad game the week before, you know. I was going to brush it off, and to me, the most important thing was bouncing back the next week. So, still going to the mental preparation of getting ready for a game, still having the confidence, still being the same. You know, you know, if you, you know, I joked around maybe a little bit during the week, but as I got closer to the to game day, I became a different person. Uh, my wife, my family, they all know this that nobody was allowed over a house the day before a game. 
because I was just in a different mental place getting myself ready for a game. Very cranky, very irritable. I was just mentally going to this game. They didn't want to mess around with anybody. But that was part of my process. So I had to make sure I kept up with that same routine. I, I'm not superstitious at all, but I had a certain routine that I had. It. So I just continued with my routine and, and, and try to go back and, and not make those same mistakes the following week. So the biggest thing for me is like when you have a bad game, you got to be able to brush it off. And, and move forward. So I would just go back to the same routine that I've, I've done before and have the confidence that last week was last week and now I'm going to move forward. And I think that's the one thing that people have to understand. you got to have the confidence. you got to play with this, you know, whether it's a chip on your shoulder. I was never a cocky player whatsoever, but I got on the field and I'm like, I'm going to go out there and perform. Mm-hmm. And to me, you got to have that confidence. Because I, I feel like that's one part of sports or anything where you take it very seriously and want to be the best that people always underestimate. Mm-hmm. Just that, that mental capability. Of, yeah. To me, you can't win them all, Yeah. but you have to always have that mindset that like, no matter what happened in the past, I got to go get it now and I got to... You do. You, you can't You can't just sit back and dwell like, man, shoot, you know, we lost four great cups, five great cups. And every single year after that, I'm like, I can't dwell on that. Like, we had an amazing year and I got to do everything in my power to make sure that we overcome that. So, and, and that comes with you know, I always evaluate last year's season and then realize, okay, I got to do something different, uh, whether it was mentally, physically, like after losing, the, you know, those, those breakups, I had a team that I kind of put in place to help me uh, train and they recommended I go see a sports psychologist. And I'm like, why do you see a sports psychologist? They're like, well, we think it would help you move forward. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm trusting the advice that you're giving yeah. me and I'm going to go see one. And, and it was just basically talking to somebody and reinforcing the confidence. It's just reinforcing that, that picture like, yes, you know, we lost this great cups. You know, how, the biggest thing that people always want to know, how, how do you get yourself in that zone? Like, we you know, you know, what's your, what do you do to get into that zone? And, and I would explain to them my, my mental preparation and then they would give me some, some tools you know, if I do, because you always have some self-doubt that comes in your head. Like, I'll, I'll be preparing for a game, and I, I'm like, you know, I'm going to the mental process. Okay, I'm taking my drop. I'm throwing the ball to this guy. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you just threw an interception. Oh, hell no, I didn't throw an interception. I completed the ball. So anything that came in negative to my head, I'm like, no, that didn't happen. This is what happened. Hmm. So they helped me with that. And that's just one small example, but it was just kind of whenever I had some kind of negative response as I'm preparing, I just replace it with a couple of positive things. And that was just one thing that helped me out. But I think the biggest thing is just being open-minded and not being status quo on what you did before. you got to challenge yourself year in and year out. I want to touch just quick, briefly on you You almost made it to the NFL. You almost played for Pittsburgh Steelers. I had a couple of tryouts um, after the 2002 season. That's the year that we won our first great cup. So uh, I had a couple of workouts, uh, one being with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But to be honest with you, it was, it was a bit of a joke because um, I didn't get a chance to meet the coaches. I was only with the strength coach and through a couple routes. And I, I didn't feel that this was that this was a good experience. Like, yeah. it, it wasn't helping me. Then I went to, to Seattle, and Jim Zorn was the quarterback coach there. And he worked me out. It was, you know, it was a great experience. Um, but he said that there's a good chance that, you know, they're always going to go draft quarterbacks instead of signing somebody from the CFL. 
and then Pittsburgh called, and then Pittsburgh, you know, I was kind of expecting the same thing, just a, an average workout, but when I got to Pittsburgh, it was, there was nobody there, no other players, it was just me, it was the entire coaching staff, scouting department, they had two cameras on me, and they put me so through, it was a serious, it was a serious yeah. workout, they weren't joking around. no, they weren't joking around, they wanted to see what I was capable of doing, so, uh, you know, it was an okay workout. Uh, I got tired, to be honest with you. It was like an hour and a half, and I didn't think that helped my cause. But they were very upfront with me uh, in terms of what their plans were because I want to say uh, uh, Cordell Stewart was the quarterback. Uh, they had just released him, and then uh, the other quarterback, uh, I'm just drawing a blank right now, that came in uh, from UCLA. He played in the uh, XFL, and they ended up signing Tommy Maddox. So Tommy Maddox was the backup, but he ended up becoming the starter. So they knew he was going to be the starter. But the the, the big thing was uh, was Charlie Batch, that he was the third string quarterback, and they thought he was going to leave to another team. And if they if he left, they said they would possibly bring me in to be you know challenge for the backup job. Uh, but they wouldn't bring me in as a third string quarterback because they wanted a, a younger guy for that because. You know, Tommy Maddox would be the starter, Charlie Batch would be the backup, and then they wanted the third young, third young guy. So they were very upfront with me with that. So about after my workout, about four days later, they informed me that Charlie Batch was re-signed, that they were going to be moving forward. And I, I thanked them. But <clears throat> that was really my only legit opportunity to sign with the NFL team. Okay. Do you, do you, would you have taken, I'm just curious, would you have taken that opportunity to go in the NFL? Uh, oh, most definitely. I would have. I mean... I never, when I was playing up here, it wasn't my intention and my goal. I'm playing up here to go back to the NFL, okay. uh, or at least get a shot. Uh, my goal was just to be the best quarterback that I could be. You know, people were always going down, and there was guys who had goals to go down there. But for me, I was just enjoying my time. So uh, the fact that it didn't happen, I didn't lose any sleep over it whatsoever. Because once that window closed, I just made a commitment that I'm going to sign long-term deals up here and commit myself to see what happens. Now, I want to, like, everyone knows you as mm -hmm. the quarterback, but how do, how do you see yourself? <clears throat> well, um, you know, I've always seen myself as a very humble person. Like, I grew up with, you know, with, with a family in a, in a single family home, paycheck to paycheck, so we didn't have much, we didn't travel. So everything that I've had, I've always appreciated, right? So, you know, once I became a professional athlete and played for 20 years and all the things that came with it. I've always just seen myself as the same little kid that grew up in La Puente. Um, I never seen myself as this, as this superstar or this person that did all these accomplishments. So, uh, and I still see myself the exact same way to this day. Like to me, <clears throat> it was great. It was a great run, but I just don't see myself as this, as this person that, that played for all those years. It's just, I'm the same person that I was when I grew up. If that makes any sense. Do you find, because I think it's very interesting when you see most of the average career in football is three or four years yeah. and you had such a long run. So it's, it's kind of, I think you benefited from that career itself. Do you find that people in a similar position than you that have those four-year careers are prepared for the life after? Because I, I feel you bring on the humbleness mm -hmm. that's like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm a superstar, but yeah. to the world, but to me, I'm just me. Yeah. I'm going to do what I got to do. Yeah. But I feel like there's a lot of athletes that have the mentality, well, now I'm different than most people yes but once that career is over it's the reality check hits in and it's yeah. like what, what do I do now yeah and, and I think some athletes who retire have some challenges with that and there's a lot of athletes that I play with who were preparing for life after football um, and I remember 
personally, I would have, I wouldn't have an issue with it, but I felt that they were taking away time from their profession, which was professional football. Mm -hmm. So for example, for myself, to me, <clears throat> all I did was in the off season, try to prepare myself for the next season. So that was my priority. That was my workout schedule. And I didn't waver from any of that. The big difference that I see now is the fact that as a quarterback, I got paid a lot more than the other players. The other players, of course, they were trying to make another living. They were trying to get themselves ready for life after football because the reality was there was a big difference in salary. This is not the NFL where you're getting paid a few million dollars but, to play. Without a doubt. But in, from, in my case, as a quarterback, I did get paid more than most of the players. So they you know, would have to prepare themselves for life after football right away, where in my case, I just focused on football. And I'm not going to say I regret it, um, but I wish I would have planted a little bit more seeds to get ready for life after football. Um, I was always very nervous to go into business with people, um, just because I felt that if something happens, it was my reputation was going to take a hit. That was one. And the other thing was, I felt that if I was trying to do something else, I was taken away from my main source of what I did for a living and being the best athlete that I could be. And I think that's what allowed me to play for so many years that I did not do other things outside of football because I put all my attention and focus and my priority into getting myself ready for the next year. So I didn't start planning for life after football until I retired, to be honest with you, um, because I just threw everything into one basket to get myself for the next year. I think that's what helped me be the player who I was and allowed me to play for so many years. Um, where, you know, maybe the last few years I should have taken advantage of some of the connections that I had to get myself ready for life after football because the reality is we can't just retire and, and yes, just not do anything, is. right? But um, there's no regrets whatsoever because I'm happy how things have worked out. Um, and I truly believe that if I would have started doing other things when I was still playing, I would have been able to play for 20 years and, and been able to play at my elite status that I was able to do for so many years. Well, your, your, your winning didn't stop, or sorry, didn't end with football. It kind of, it kind of grew into, you know, we're in the Copper Branch facility in mm -hmm. River Drive, which you're part owners of. Um, it, it carried on that I, I believe it's called a restaurant, not a facility. It's a facility, only a restaurant. Sorry. Um, Are you nervous, Vince? No, I'm not. Um, we're, we're, we're here, and, and your, winning, your winning attitude has never stopped. Mm -hmm. It's kind of evolved into yeah. the business world. It's like the. I, I'm just trying to figure out now as I'm listening to you are you going to possibly be more passionate about entrepreneurship and your business ventures and what you're working with now versus football? I mean, mm -hmm. you see the average career is three years, four years, you've had a lot longer career than the average individual, but your career as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. is gonna extend for many mm -hmm. more years. So what I've learned in life <clears throat> is I knew what it, what it, what it took to, to, for me to have success on the football field. I know the dedication, the passion, work ethic that, that allowed me to, to, to accomplish the things that I was able to accomplish with my teammates. So I'm carrying that over into the next phase of life. So right now I am coaching still coaching and coaching at the University of Montreal. Uh, and then we have the business venture here at Copper Branch. So now I'm doing the things that I didn't do before, and that's do two things at one time. But what's great is the partners that I have that they're allowing me 
to focus on my passion. My passion is sports, it's football. But at the same time, I'm also passionate about food as well. So it's a great combination where my wife and I are partners in this, but our other partners, you know, their passion is entrepreneurship. Their passion is restaurants. And we had a great business partnership where we're both allowed to run with our passion, which me being sports and now also trying to learn more about entrepreneurship and restaurants. They're taking the lead on the restaurants uh, aspect of it. We have our meetings, we give our input. I'm learning a lot, um, but I'm putting the same passion into both ventures as much as I can. And, and well, sorry, Joe, what fascinates me is, you know, we, we spoke of it before as well, and yeah. speaking now, your values have completely just transferred over. Mm -hmm. You talked about trusting the people that are knowledgeable in this right. apply to that. You talk about follow your passion, which is I still want to coach, I still mm -hmm. want to be in football. Um, help, to me, healthy eating, which is really the essential to me, well, I guess value not to repeat that, but value yeah. of Copper Branch, you're mixing it all together and you're yeah. really building your own thing. So I think what I find interesting is even if it's a different phase of your life, you're still applying the same values that you've always, mm -hmm. that's brought you so far. And it's funny because, it, you know, Copper Branch been, has been infused in football life mm -hmm. as well. That's where you, you kind of first engaged with the brand, was through football, funny enough. Yes, it's so the whole how food has been uh, has transcends our lives. So back in 2007, uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, large B cell lymphoma. Um, so she went through her cancer treatments, and you know we both started researching, like okay, how what can we do to help ourselves moving forward? Um, and we started learning more about food and, and and how it can make a big difference in an individual's life. So that's where that transition started. That was back in 2007. And then for me on the football field, again, going back to the people, uh, his name is Scott Suter. He was, the, he was the guy that I hired to develop my workout programs, my change my, 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 my eating habits. Uh, we recommended the sports psychologist. So it goes back to what you talked about, trusting somebody um, with my future. And I was able to do that with Scott and his company. And, and food came a big part of that because I ended up be cut, uh, cutting out dairy, refined sugar, and gluten uh, the last five years of my career. And really, that is what helped me play for another five years because I felt fresh, I felt young, I was able to recover a lot faster. So I saw right away the impact of what changing your diet can do. And it wasn't changing the diet because we really made a, what we call a whole lifestyle change. And then Copper Branch uh, started to come about uh, a few years back because uh, we used to bring uh, Copper Branch to the Alouettes to feed the players. So there was a sponsorship there. This is before we got involved and, and the players was like, we're not going to eat this food. What are you talking about? But once we started bringing the food and they started tasting it, they were just blown away that, that what they were eating. So, uh, so that's where the contact kind of came with the people from Copper Branch. And, and that's when we started to meet our, our new partners and uh, with Byron and Lorenzo and their family. So, and over time you get to meet them and, and you spend more time with them. And again, it goes back to the same values. Like, you know, whenever you go into business with somebody, it's a relationship. You got to make sure that, you know, whatever you're doing, that uh, it's like a marriage as well. Like it's, you got to make sure you feel comfortable with them. And, and, and we did, and, and that's why we moved forward. So, uh, so right now we're trying to balance the two. Uh, but we have a we have a good a business model where we're able to kind of dip into each other's passion, 
but uh, food definitely plays a big role in our family. So you mean my growing up when my mom used to feed me pasta and a, and a steak before a soccer game? That was a bad idea. <laughs> back then, it, back then it was a great idea because I did, I did, I did the pasta. I didn't do the steak, but uh, yeah, things. You know, it, it's just about being knowledgeable, and and uh, and that's what we're trying to do. Okay, how, and and how has your 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 experience with the Alouettes or in in the CFL transcend over to the business world? Because I'm sure there's a crossover there. What you've learned and you're applying it here, managing a team. Mm-hmm. Growing that team, growing this business, like you would, whether it be the Alouettes as a brand, uh, the amount of cups you've won. I think that one of the things that I always focus on is, you know, there's a big trust factor, right? And you want to make sure that you're treating the people that you're working with very well. Because, you know, I've always felt that when I played quarterback, that I wanted these guys that were under me to take my job. Like that's that's one thing I wanted them to do. But I always told them, I go. I'm not going to hand this thing over to you. You're actually going to have to beat me out. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do about it, right? And I showed them what I was capable of doing, and that was up to them whether they wanted to take that next step to eventually take the job over. But I was still playing at this certain level, and these guys were just – and I, I didn't get hurt too often, so they didn't have many opportunities. So now, as I go forward, <clears throat> whether it's in football coaching, whether it's here, is you try to set a certain standard – you know, and, and, and expectations. And you want to make sure that they trust you. Like, there's decisions that got to be made about the restaurant, the decisions about uh, what plays we're going to run on the football field. Um, and then you got to be able to explain that as well. I think that's been the hardest thing for me as a coach, transitioning from player to, uh, to coach, because when the coach told me to do something, it was one time, and I did it, where I found as a coach and I would explain something and then tell them to do it, and then if they did it incorrectly, I would explain it again. And then once we felt that we explained it correctly and they're still doing it the wrong way, then I felt that it was more on their side. Like, okay, what what are you not getting in this? And, and that's why feedback has been so important. And I've always been open-minded. So I've been able to play for so long because I was open-minded with the people who were coaching me. Uh, early on in my career was not the case. I was very stubborn. But I knew that was not the way. So. Now that I'm in a position, I gotta be open-minded to listen to the people that that have opinions about football or about about the restaurant. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna go what I think is best for us moving forward. You made a you, you said something very interesting before. This is a discussion we actually have a lot about pushing the people under you to actually beat you one day. Mm-hmm. The point that we I and, often and, say and beat you in the sense of rip it out of your hand. Yeah. yeah, like it's not gonna just be handed. I always found that to be the most interesting way and the best way to teach because in the end. Personally, the way I am, it's I want that because then it gets pressure to me to mm-hmm. even beat myself and go higher and higher yeah. and higher. Did you feel a similar way when you were? Uh, to me, it was more that I was so in, embedded into the organization that I wanted the organization to continue okay. having success. So it wasn't just your legacy; it was the legacy of that was part of it, yeah. right? And uh, but for me, it's like I wanted the organization to continue success as well. It wasn't that you know. You know, it wasn't for my legacy, like, you know, I tutored this person to become this quarterback. It was more that that would have been great, but it was more I wanted to. So, like success. I said, the other ones. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I find, like, it's amazing how if we were to break down everything you've kind of touched on and break down your life into, like, sections and stages, you've probably given back more than you've received. I mean that in the sense of 
in back to the community, mm-hmm. so you're heavily involved in the community, mm-hmm. in back to other players, and you're still giving back. Mm-hmm. There's there's that strong tie mm-hmm. with the CFL, not necessarily as a quarterback or to one team. I think it it goes in the root of the CFL mm-hmm. and the Alouettes, almost as a thank you for allowing you to grow as an individual, and you feel that, and I feel that way as way as well. Sports is an avenue that people mm-hmm. realize you can really grow as an individual, but it's the right mentor. So I think the things that really helped me, I always go back to the people who coached me. Like they were volunteers. Like that, that, that still just blows my mind. The fact that they took time out of their busy lives and, and away from their own kids to go coach kids in the neighborhood. Um, so I've always said that, you know, wherever I was, that I was gonna give back. So that's just been embedded in me because of the people who, who helped me along the way. So that, that's just part of who I am. Um, and yeah, I mean, the one thing that I, I, I that was hard for me was was saying no, because you know, as an athlete, people are always asking you to do certain things. And like a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now I have some extra, now I have some extra time, right? So I'm okay with that. But the challenge was when I was playing, people wanted me during the season, and and it goes back to like my priorities was getting myself ready for football so if I was taking time away from that I had to say no and that was very hard but once I figured out my priorities football my family uh, my faith all those things that come into play I was more comfortable saying no Um, some people understood it others did not but it was not my problem anymore because I felt that if I was stretching myself too much it wasn't going to be healthy for me so I do get a lot of requests there's sometimes where I could do stuff sometimes I can't but as long as I put in priority, uh, prioritize everything, and it makes sense, then I'm going to go forward and do it. I think a lot of people don't realize when you do say yes to mm-hmm. something, you are generally saying no to a ton of other stuff, right? Because when you say yes, I'm going to do that one yeah. activity. Look at us. You yeah. can't now. You're, you're tied with us for an hour and a mm-hmm. half. You can't do something else you may want to do. Yes. Whether it be with the kids, the family, a friend, or practice. Yeah. Or, yeah, so we have a family schedule at home. My wife and I are always going over it. We're looking at it, planning things, and I'll tell her, okay, I have this, I have that. Or somebody asked me to do this on this day, what do you think? Um, so as much as it's my decision, it's kind of the family decision because we might have something to do that weekend or we're planning something, and then I have to just decline that. But you're right, if I'm saying yes to one thing, there's other things that I might have to say no to. But it goes back to I, I always prioritize everything. Like, it's, you know the things that I talked about, my family, my, my passion, and it, it, and then do I want to get involved with what they're, what they're doing? So there's a lot of things that come into play with that. So coming close to the end now, and I want to know, we talked a lot about how mentorship affected you. Uh, at your stage of life right now, and I'm assuming there's a lot of young football players, especially mm-hmm. in Montreal or in Canada that are looking up to you. Mm-hmm. What's the best advice you can give them? For not just football itself, but like to have a nice life. long career, a nice life, and yeah. so. I think the one thing I've learned um, is um, no matter what your circumstances are, you know, how you grew up, like we didn't even touch on the fact that like I grew up in a single family home, which I talked about, but my my father, when he was around, was very abusive to my mother. So we grew up in that aspect for a few years, and then my older brother put a stop to it. Um, but that made a major impact on me. Um, because I saw that and we were, we were told to be quiet about it. But I knew deep in my heart that's not what I wanted for my family. Um, so whatever the circumstances 
that you grew up in, whether it's been great, whether it's been bad, that, you know, it might have influenced you, but it doesn't have to define you. You have a choice to, to change that. And that's the one thing I stress, and I give those examples of how I grew up. And, and if it wasn't for uh, my high school coach directing me in to go into university, and if it wasn't for Jim Zorn that really kind of not only helped me on the football field, but really explained to me that, Anthony, if, if you want something different for your, for your life and your family, you have the choice to do that. And he planted that seed in my head. So for me, I think the biggest thing, no matter as a young individual, um, you have people that you look up to, surround yourself with solid people. Uh, people are smart enough to know if they're, if they're hanging around with the right people or not. Um, I don't and, know about that. <laughs> well, I, I'm questioning. <laughs> <laughs> you make me wonder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might retract that statement. I think at the end of the day, you, you have a choice to make a difference in, in, in the way you were brought up and uh, surrounding yourself with good people and realizing that no matter what your, your circumstances, being open-minded, having the right people around you, but you have the ability to change the future. And I encourage them to do that. Yeah. Vince, um, I'll leave you the honors. Yeah, I, I we always end with a question of, of, of threes. Mm -hmm. And this question I have for you is, um, if you had the choice, or you could choose anyone to break bread with yeah. at Copper Branch, yes. and have a nice hour discussion, whether it be about <laughs> life, learn about them, or talk about you, who would those three people be? Who would you like to break bread with at Copper Branch? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, you know, it, uh, alive, not alive, is it anybody? Anybody. <laughs> anybody. So yeah, I, I, I've heard so many stories uh, about a couple people. Um, Sam Etcheberry, the late Sam Etcheberry, that was the quarterback here for the Alouettes. Um, every time I'm in the city, uh, people always talk. He's one of the people that they always talk about from the 70s or from the 60s. Like, you know, Sam was, was this, this guy, not only on the field, but off the field, what he did for the community. And I only met him once before he had passed away. And it was very briefly at a golf tournament. And I would like to just kind of, it would be nice to sit back with him. And then, uh, and then, and then the Rocket from the Canadians, for sure. Just, you know, I read a lot about him as well. And during the riots and how he played a major role uh, in, uh, in kind of just helping the community out. And it would be fun to just sit back with somebody like that. And the third person, um, I'm just drawing a blank right now, but uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of anybody else. I know right you're thinking about the Montreal Marketeers, but we're already doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking of people who, who had an impact in our city here. And, you know, the two people that I just referred to, um, they did. Um, and uh, I guess, uh, and, and then maybe, you know, for... Uh, baseball, maybe a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, Tim, uh, Tim Raines. Uh, I met him once at, a, at, a, at an autograph signing, but, you know, I, it's just people like that that, that were in this community, and, and, and they, they did a lot of great things, so maybe those three people. Okay, okay. very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so, you very much for your time. So, just to say, what location are we at? Copper Bash of That's correct, yes. So, thank you very much for having us. We're in a very nice spot thank right now. So <laughs> really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming out, guys. We hope you liked this week's episode. And if you'd like to reach out to us or just want to simply check out our previous episodes, visit our website, Montreal Marketeers, that's with two E's, dot com. 
You can also download our weekly episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Oh